Some throwbacks deserve a comeback, like Amakum Kezela, Moonbags, even the greeting Who's It? That's why Hunters, the original cider, is on a mission to refresh, cool, and bring back the old school. All you got to do is follow at Hunters Cider on Facebook, share throwbacks, and uh, of course, uh, you could win some refreshing prizes. Hunters, refreshes like nothing on earth, drink responsibly, not for sale to persons under the age of 18. Eleven minutes now. It is after eight p.m. Many of you, uh, I guess, engaging us on Twitter there, and uh, uh, certainly impressed, I guess, with the passion that uh, persistence has uh, provided them. On Rabisi Olifir on Twitter, saying, "If even if Zim uh, has its uh, own currency, if there's no foreign trading activities, it will be of no value. What matters is the current uh, state of uh, sections, bilaterals, and foreign partnerships. Uh, by looking at their political stability, is there any hope? And uh, I don't know. I think for me, the real um, a blue pill of the Zimbabwean economy has to do with the uh, uh, real economy. Uh, you heard persistence saying to us that uh, the main things that they export is uh, tobacco, chrome, gold, platinum, all of those by and large in the primary sector of the economy. And I think if uh, you can resuscitate uh, the uh, secondary sector of the economy, which has seen rapid deindustrialization in uh, Zimbabwe, if you think about those factories in Blawayo and of uh, the uh, many other factories that one would see uh, alongside uh, the city, uh, capital town of Harare, uh, I think for me it's, it's in engaging in that secondary activity and trying, I guess, yes, to get uh, some of those bilateral agreements on once again and dealing with this issue of sanctions that you're going to be able to have the Zimbabwean economy adding value to uh, some of its primary products, but also exporting those in exchange for foreign exchange. Um, and, and I think for me, that's what's going to ensure that Zimbabwe is able to get back on its feet, but also if that happens on its own terms. And I think that if, is for me uh, the big uh, issue there. Many of you, as I said, uh, commenting on uh, persistent Batandwa Bebelele, uh, saying, uh, like uh, persistence, very passionate Manu Putiza and uh, uh, Nama Dunes, they're saying he's lost meme now and uh, uh, of course uh, many of you saying there that uh, uh, really speaks I guess to his name and uh, of course Tinabantu City Umdana Uye and yeah man I wish I had an inch uh, of the persistence confidence and the resilience that our friend Persistence has. Certainly not the last time we're going to be speaking to him here on Metro FM Talk, and uh, we certainly hope uh, to have him back uh, as we uh, see this particular matter unfold uh, in Zimbabwe. We now shift our attention, of course, as I said, to uh, Bukonebo Pirima uh, in the uh, northwest province in Rustenburg, uh, where close to uh, 300 mine workers are, are underground in protest. And, of course, this is after uh, one uh, of the members, allegedly, a member of the NUMSA, had uh, been sexually uh, assaulted and victimized by uh, a mine captain. And uh, also, of course, uh, issues around recognition uh, here at stake. And uh, in addition to that, uh, the return of uh, many uh, dismissed uh, employees. And I'm joined on the line to talk about this one by Ruth Ntrogose, uh, Second Deputy President of the NUMSA and the Chairperson of NUMSA's Gender Structure. Also joined... Uh, from uh, Cape Town by Dr. Asanda Benya, Senior Lecturer in the Department of Sociology at UCT. Uh, Dr. Asanda and uh, Mayor Ruth, good evening to the two of you and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Uh, Mayor Ruth, let me start off with you here and uh, maybe get uh, some of the context uh, here around the demands that uh, the protesting workers have placed before the employer here. We do know that uh, Langsus has come out and said that this 
a particular action is an illegal one, and uh, they uh, refer uh, to a high court judgment here in uh, Johannesburg. But maybe just uh, appraise us here of some of the demands that are on the table, and of course, uh, even that uh, a court judgment that the employer is referring to. Okay. Thank you very much, Ayabonga. One of the major demands that workers are putting on the table, they are actually alleging that there's a, um, a person who's from the management who is harassing employees, and the complaint was brought to the attention of the HR, and unfortunately no action was taken against that employee. And I must indicate that it was not only an isolated matter of issues of sexual harassment, these are the conditions that workers are facing on a daily basis. And the workers felt that enough is enough. Mm. They cannot take it anymore. And they had to sacrifice their own lives and stay the city underground. Okay. Now, now, I also want us maybe to, to unpack this issue here of that court judgment and, of course, the recognition uh, agreement issues that are at stake here, which uh, form part and parcel of your demands. Okay. In terms of the recognition, the recognition agreement, I, I think it's, it's known it's common cause that as and when the union seeks to be um, recognized in a workplace, there's a process that needs to be followed. Mm. And it is the verification exercise where union will submit the form and as soon as uh, uh, the, the employer satisfies itself that uh, they meet a certain threshold, workers will be given either section 11, 12, or 13, depending on the number of, of, of forms that are being submitted. But in this instance, it has been a hassle, I must indicate. Mm. The, way the employer has been touching and diving without necessarily subjecting a, 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 to that fair process. And I must indicate that in the meeting that took place over the weekend, it was indicated, it was before the employer could renege on the agreement mm. that it was entered to during the facilitation process by the DMR. It was agreed to that that process will have to take place. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, just just talk to us briefly here, because I think this is one thing I'd like us to maybe to hone in on. Uh, on this incident that happened to one of your uh, members as the NOMSA, uh, also involving one of the mine captains here, and uh, the allegations of sexual assault uh, uh, that happened there to your member, which also form uh, a big reason why many of your members are beneath the ground uh, as we speak now in protest. Like I, mean, I cannot go to the merits and the demerits of the case okay. because of the matter is still subjudicated. But one thing that I can I can raise is the fact that the 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 complainant has brought the matter to the attention of the mine management, mm. where you know it's very much unfortunate that the response from the management at the time the worker was told that uh, don't you think that she's a person like she's a human being who does have feelings. It is very much unfortunate that, you know, to a country like South Africa, where the president of the country last year called a summit, a, a pledging that issues of gender-based violence, they have to come to an end. Mm. And in the workplaces, workers are subjected to incidents of that nature. It's very much unfortunate. We've got policies of sexual harassment that are there in a labor relations act. Yes. Uh, but... When it comes to line management, when they're supposed to implement such policies, they will simply turn back women and wanting them to, to subject them that perpetrators are mm. human beings, they also have feelings. It's a very unfortunate situation, and as workers, we say that 
it cannot be business as usual. What do you say, Mayor, to, to the response of the company that uh, this matter has been placed before an independent investigator? Uh, because it's quite clear to me that as the NUMSA, you, you are unhappy with the pace of the investigation, but also how the uh, management alongside uh, whoever the independent investigator is, how, how they've handled this matter. We are not happy about the process because of this incident happened in the 18th. Yes. And the message was brought before the attention of, of management. And yes, uh, he, he was, uh, the, the perpetrator was suspended and the suspension was lifted without no apparent reason. And the matter was like put to a rest without being explained to the complainant what were the reasons. And it cannot be that workers had to go through what they are currently undergoing, they are underground in winter, for this matter to be brought to the attention of, of, of management. And I must indicate that it's one of the things that we welcomed over the weekend mm. uh, when management was proposing that this matter has to be, like the perpetrator will be, will be further suspended and the further investigation will be conducted by an independent uh, uh, person. Okay, let's pause there slightly, Mayor and uh, uh, Dr. Peña. Uh, let's uh, quickly take this break. And on the other side, uh, I'll uh, bring you into the conversation. And also, I guess, uh, try and understand uh, some of the issues and uh, the environment that uh, women who work underground are faced with every single day. And, of course, uh, also uh, try and hone in on the suspect of uh, sexual harassment and uh, gender-based violence that occurs in our workplaces. I'd also love to hear from you. Give us a ring on 89 110 Double seven. Twenty-three minutes. It is now after eight p.m. We are taking a look at uh, the uh, story of uh, some of the workers uh, who are. Uh, in protest underground, uh, close on 300 workers there, and it's the seventh day of uh, the protest here, uh, protesting, uh, among many other things, uh, the uh, alleged sexual assault and victimization of uh, one of the uh, NUMSA members. And I'm um, in conversation about this particular matter, and of course, uh, the uh, women and the mining industry and some of the obstacles and challenges that they face in that particular sector. And uh, that's what we have under the microscope this evening here on uh, Metro FM Talk. I have uh, Dr. Asanda Peña on the line. Uh, she's a senior lecturer in the Department of Sociology at UCT, also joined by Ruth Ntlogose, uh, NUMSA's second deputy president and chairperson of the NUMSA gender structure. Now, Dr. Asanda, thank you so much uh, for taking time out to speak to us. And uh, I, I mean, I'm quite interested in uh, much of the work that you've done. And I know uh, one of your seminal uh, pieces there uh, coming out of 2015, looking at many of the women who had worked in the platinum sector and in Marikana and, of course, the invisible role that, uh, or the role that was made invisible, if I can put it that way, because much of uh, what we talk about when we talk about Marikana, we talk about, uh, you know, the big male personalities and uh, some of their involvement in this particular matter and seldom talk about uh, the role and some of the challenges that women face uh, working underground and working in the mining sector. Uh, thank you, Aya. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges is exactly what Ruth was talking about, how the fact that the sexual harassment, and it's not just sexual harassment at a small scale. When we're talking about it in mining, we're talking about sexual harassment at a very big scale, especially because mining is a male-dominated industry. It continues to be men who have power. So sexual harassment is something that women deal with on an everyday basis all the time. The minute women enter the shaft, in fact, even before they get to work, 
uh, and that's related to the times which their shift starts. A lot of shifts underground, they start at 4.30 in the morning, 5.35 in the morning, and that means women have to leave their homes at extremely early hours of the morning. And so it's not just sexual harassment in the workplace. The sexual harassment actually also starts before women get to work mm. because of the times they're supposed to be at work. And also sexual harassment in relation to uh, toilets not being available in some shops underground. I think in the past few years, some mines have tried to have sh- uh, toilets underground, but in, ad- in other shops, uh, there are no toilets underground. So sexual harassment, when women are searching for ways to relieve themselves underground, uh, them experiencing that. I think a couple of years ago, people also know that there was a case of Pinky Mosiana who was not just sexually harassed underground, but was sexually harassed, beaten up, and also killed underground. So it's not sexual harassment only. It also gets to a point where people are actually killed underground. And part of the problem is the challenges is that there are very few women who are working in the mining industry. Um, so some of them are around those things, but also others are around also just work underground where women, while they are legislatively included in the mining sector, they can, in theory and according to the legislation, work in mining. Their realities speak of a group that continues to be excluded, excluded mm. in terms of in-house policies, uh, such as pregnancy policies that are not necessarily friendly to women. They are to some extent, but they don't really appreciate the extent of what it means to be a woman who is pregnant and working underground. Um, And just the masculine culture in the mining industry that uh, not only excludes women, but also threatens some of them and makes some of them feel vulnerable and uh, in constant fear. Fear of speaking out if you disagree, fear of making mistakes because already you are seen as someone who does not belong in Mm. mining. So there's a whole range of challenges that people... Uh, in my women in particular face in mining, but these challenges, I think, for me, they mediate that the, the core of what women experience. Mm, mm. And and Ruth, I mean, when you look at this particular incident, uh, I, I I'm quite, I guess, uh, you know, interested in the point that both of you are making that you know the violence isn't something that is just you know uh, a unique and happens in a vacuum in the workplace, but in essence, is the violence that women uh, meet and are visited upon uh, throughout the course of their lives before they even get uh, down into the shaft. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and in their everyday lives, this is part and parcel of uh, their existence. And we do know, I guess, uh, even in the uh, sort of Rustenburg area, uh, platinum, chrome, and many of the, of these mines, uh, that uh, you do have women that are working there. And of course, these tense relations take root. But Merut, I'm quite interested, even in 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 a trade union as large as the NUMSA is, one would think that uh, uh, the same kind of dynamics would also take root. And and what then becomes, I I guess, the role of a gender structure like the one that you lead uh, within the union? Okay. Thank you very much, Aya. I think from the trade union, NUMSA, we do have the gender structure that is um, purely dealing with issues of, 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 of harassment against women. One thing that I must point out is that uh, gender struggle is a struggle, struggle within a struggle. Mm. You will recall that Lumsa traditionally used to be made a, a dominated sector. And through the, 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 the number of, of, of achievements that we've achieved through the centralized bargaining, we've managed that in most of our sectors, women are now employed. But I must indicate that it's not easy. For instance, in engineering, it used to be predominantly men, and you know that 
women were only working as administrators or tea girls or even cleaners. But now they are now working as um, like position of autism, although they are not in numbers. But from the gender structure things that we are doing, we've got a number of campaigns that are dedicated, for an example, with health and safety. Uh, we bring awareness and we always make sure that uh, when it comes to the process of centralized budgeting, as we are currently now, our three big sectors are negotiated. We always make sure that we push issues that are, are related to women. And it's not an easy process. Um, sometimes they realize that when it comes to uh, 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 selecting issues, uh, women issues and ones that will, will, will be first to be eliminated in the process. But it's a struggle, it's in a struggle. But NINSA as, an, as a trading organization is dedicated to sources, to constructors, uh, national, the all nine provinces are uh, existing and are always making sure that we, we run workshops in creating awareness to our members. Mm. These are the things that we are basically doing. How prevalent, uh, how prevalent is, is this particular challenge, Leia, le- sexual harassment, when it comes uh, to uh, many of your members uh, who come to you, who come to your desk and uh, present, I guess, uh, their cases and some of their issues? You see, in my name, um, mining, remember, Lusa, after 2013, when we extended our school, we, we didn't organize uh, in mining yes. traditionally. Um, so when it comes to issues of, of sexual harassment, our members, especially let me make an example of uh, in code, uh, most of our members, they will bring uh, issues of sexual harassment that are taking place in, the, in, their, in their mining spaces. Mm that uh, they are harassed like on daily basis when they're taking down the lines underground through the cage that where men will masturbate like on a daily basis. And there are seminars, I must say, that uh, the company is, is, is running. But those seminars are clearly focused only on women. So we see such seminars as not being transformative because of, if you want to make an impact, we cannot only be focusing on victims. We must also focus on perpetrators with the intention of changing their mindset. That is why, as Minfa, we don't have a women's structure. Only that it's, it's, it's both men and women, which is, which is what we call it the gender structure. Because we want to make an impact. We want to transform the minds of men. Because we believe that men should, should, should change their mindset on how they view a, a, a women. So they, they, they bring such issues in the mining sector. Uh, and then other sectors, like the traditional sectors, there are policies in place, so we normally train our folks towards so that they can be custodian in ensuring that uh, they, they make sure that uh, perpetrators of sexual harassment, they must be brought to an account. Okay. Meruth, I'd like us maybe to pause there slightly because I'm uh, battling with uh, the line there. There's some challenges we have on the line. But uh, let me bring uh, uh, Dr. Asanda in here. Dr. Asanda, uh, I mean, uh, in the work that you've done in in the mining sector and, of course, with the challenges that uh, women face there, when you look at sexual harassment in particular, um, many people have spoken anecdotally about sort of the sex for favors and all manner of other issues that happen uh, underground, uh, largely because of uh, how uh, shafts and uh, the underground uh, how alienating it is for women. You spoke about the uh, lack of access to uh, sanitary uh, and uh, sanitation facilities down there and uh, all manner of other challenges 
that uh, women would be facing there. Uh, how pervasive is this issue, uh, uh, least of all in uh, the minds that uh, you've managed to uh, take a look at? Uh, I can't hear you properly. You've got to repeat that question. Yeah, I was just asking how pervasive how pervasive is this challenge of uh, sexual harassment uh, in, I guess, uh, the mines and in the sector that you've taken a look at? Because we've heard all manner of anecdotes um, about rapes that happen underground, about okay. sex for favors, and all of this uh, really rooted uh, by the alienation that, uh, uh, or the alienating experience that women feel underground. Yeah. Okay. So it's very, it's very prevalent. I mean, when I did my research and my research, I lived in the mines and worked with not just women, with women and men for about 12 months. Uh, and I can't remember a single day where I did not experience sexual harassment in multiple forms, whether it's people making references to certain parts of your body or people whistling at you, just unwelcome attention from male colleagues and not just mine captains, but also workers underground uh, and other supervisors. So it's very common. Uh, but also it's common not just, um, like I said, underground. It's also above ground in all places, really. And you were saying earlier that, um, in, and when we talk about sexual harassment, it's not just anecdotal stuff. There's lots of research mm, that's sure. also been done, not just by me, but a whole lot of other colleagues who are looking at women in the mining industry. And this sexual harassment thing keeps coming up as one of the very, very important issues. But I think one of the reasons you've not been able to address it uh, for the past couple of years is because the Mine Health and Safety Act, uh, which it talks to health and safety issues and sexual harassment is a safety issue, it really does not take seriously sexual harassment of women. Well, Mine Health and Safety that? Act of the country continues to emphasize safety that's related to production issues. Mm. And when you talk to people are in charge in terms of the government, Chamber of, in- Chamber of Mines, I've uh, forgotten now the new name, they don't see why the Mine Health and Safety Act, the safety, the definition of safety should be expanded to include things like sexual harassment. So it's a whole culture that makes it so common. Mm. It's not just that workers are doing it, but it's also that the legislation enables uh, the sexual harassment to continue to be as pervasive as it is. Mm. And with the legislation, I guess, uh, enabling uh, the pervasiveness of that sexual harassment, I'd be interested to find out why there hasn't been an institutional response uh, to uh, uh, start thinking of issues of safety or even respond to some of the cases that have been reported. Uh, where's the DMR? Where's the Commission for Gender Equality? Where are all of these other institutions that we've placed uh, into play that uh, I guess even the Human Rights Commission that are supposed to be trying to respond uh, to some of these issues, even if the legislation doesn't recognize it as such. But I guess uh, where they are reported, uh, there ought to be some form of institutionalized and systemic response. Uh, I can't speak for these organizations, but what I can say is that from my research again is that a lot of these cases, yes, some get reported, but a whole lot of them don't get reported. So Mm. if you speak to my manager about the prevalence of it, chances are you're going to be hearing that it's not as bad as people make it out to be. But that's because people don't report. And the reason people don't report is because it's not safe to report. People will threaten you. You'll face second victimization. And not only by union, by, by mine officials, but also by unions. Uh, and I know that NUMSA lately has been doing great work, but uh, it previously with other unions, and I'm not absolving NUMSA, we know that some unions have also tried to cover up sexual harassment issues, right, uh, and try and protect their male comrades. And sexual harassment doesn't just happen at work, but also mm. within unions sure, in sure. these workplaces. So the covering up also makes it look like it's not as bad or it's not as prevalent. 
So I think that speaks to a part of the question you're asking about where are these other people and institutions and systems. I think they, they're not there partly because uh, issues have been covered up a lot by people who are implicated in the problem. Mm. Mm. Ruth, uh, what do you make, I guess, of, uh, of that point that uh, Dr. Asanda is making around uh, some of the cover-ups, even within uh, the union and, uh, I guess, the institutional culture within some of the trade unions, uh, which, uh, I guess, historically has also uh, been a very uh, 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 sort of macho culture, uh, probably potentially as macho as uh, some of these mines are? Okay. If we can look at how the labor relations is, is structured, um, especially when it comes to complaints of sexual harassment. It allows the complainant to follow either the informal or the formal grade. So we normally respect the wish of a complainant. If the complainant wish to follow an informal route, we do that. And then if the complainant wishes to follow the formal process, that's what we normally do. Mm. But for people, and unfortunately because of the complainant, the complainant cannot be brought like it cannot be for public disposal. Sure. So we normally respect the wish of the complainant, which is one of the things that was raised during the National Gender Summit. That the manner in which this code of uh, the, the code of of conduct in handling sexual harassment, it does have uh, in actual fact it compromises the complainant because of it allows the complainant to have a direct conversation with the deputy trader should she decide to follow an informal route. So I think the manner in which the code is currently structured, for people that are outside, they will view as if like trade union, we are covering the perpetrators. And of course, not the case, but that's how policies are currently structured, which is the labor relations. Mm. So, so are you suggesting that even within the unions and in instances where uh, people inside of the union are fully aware of what indeed has happened? Uh, you're saying it's, it's uh, the legislation, the Labor Relations Act, uh, that uh, I guess places all of these responsibilities on you to try and uh, cover these things up. No, no, mm. I'm not specifically related, referring to the covering up. Oh, okay. I'm referring to how issues of sexual harassment are dealt with in the trading movement. I see. We've got policies, even from south to south to recently. They've recently adopted the policy of sexual harassment. Even from Mumsa's side, there's a policy of sexual. But the manner in which the policy is structured, it, it is derived from the Labour Relations Act. So that allows the, 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 the complainant to either follow the formal and the formal route. So it's entirely up to the complainant which process mm. she chooses to follow. Okay. All right. Uh, Dr. Peña, let me give you the last word. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. And uh, uh, I'm quite interested, of course, in what you make of the response that uh, Mayor, Mayor Ruth has uh, provided about the role uh, that policy, uh, policies have and, uh, uh, of course, the impact that that then has on uh, the ability of women to get justice uh, in instances uh, where they've been on the receiving end of uh, this kind of abuse. Uh, I can't hear Ruth. You keep saying she's Mary. She's Ruth. <laughs> I said Mayor Ruth. <laughs> oh, oh yes. okay. That's Mayor um, I, I can't hear what she's saying on the other side, but one thing I do want, I think our conversation has to also go beyond legislation. I mm. think that's one part of it. Another significant part of it is the changing of culture in the minds. I mean, this is masculinity that is quite toxic, uh, patriarchy that's con- that continues to be the order of the day in the mining industry. I think that those are things we need to be looking at. How do we change that kind of culture? that's operating and that allows these kind of things to happen. But also, how do we map out the ways in which the industry continues to exclude women and empower men? Because I think that might also help us move forward because when women are not just 
excluded but are actually playing a crucial role, I think there's a high chance of uh, sexual harassment and a whole lot of other challenges going down. Mm. We'll have to leave it there. I really, really appreciate both of your time and joining me this evening. Dr. Asanda Peña uh, from the Department of Sociology at the University of Cape Town and uh, Ruth Ntlogos, NUMSA's second deputy president and chairperson of the gender structure within the National Union of Metal Workers, talking to us this evening about uh, a woman and uh, placing the spotlight, I guess, under the microscope there uh, of uh, women and uh, the mining sector in light of uh, many of uh, those uh, just under 300 members of NUMSA who are underground in protest. And uh, let's keep them in our thoughts as uh, that protest now uh, continues to its seventh day.